What a gift to be with you all again. It's been a few years since I've been here, and I just love to see the vibrancy that's going on here. Love to see the diversity that God has brought to Trinity Baptist, and such a gift. Yeah, praise the Lord. Love to see the, the fearlessness in which you guys worship, and I'm just so blessed to get to be here to bring God's Word. We're going to read it together first. Um, I just want to commend your people, though. Those of you that I do know are an amazing amazing cast of characters. So I know Bruce Colgate pretty well, who's always behind the scenes up there, but he serves our, our school, Christian Heritage Schools, where I work. Um, he's always helping us out with stuff. Nina as well at, at CHS. Um, there's so many folks that I've gotten to know through this church that I'm just excited to see such a faithful gospel witness here in Fairfield County. People have so many things going for them in Fairfield. Wealth, success, looks, but they need Jesus. And that's what we need today too. So we're gonna seek that out together. If you got your Bible in front of you, it's 976 in those pew Bibles. Pull it up on your phone. We're going to Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. Ephesians two, one through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were did, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this word, this beautiful classic text about what it means to know you and to know ourselves as well and what you call us to do. Help us to hear your voice now in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, what's wrong with only living in the past, getting stuck in the past? What's wrong? Call it out. Yeah, you can't change it. That's good. What's wrong with being just fixated, always preoccupied by the present? No dreaming, no vision casting what's ahead. That's good. And what's the problem with getting fixated only on the future? Yeah, you're not, that's good. You're not doing what you're called to today. You're not, yeah, really good. There is a tendency throughout times to get stuck in one of those places, to get stuck in the past and sentimentality to be only preoccupied by the here and now, or to be lost in some vision of the future. But I want to tell you today that Christianity is comprehensive. It's robust. It actually tells us that we need to be aware of the past, present, and future in order to be living life with Jesus. And what we're going to see in today's text is really beautiful, that the church is honest 
about the past, that we are rejoicing in the present, and we are longing for the future work and hope that we have. Honest about the past, rejoicing in the present, and then longing for the future work and hope that we have. So let's start with this part about being honest about our past. Paul starts, and he's kind of insulting. He says this, Ephesians, you were dead people walking. We have a term for that today. What's that? Zombies. Now, obviously, Paul had not seen the zombie movies that you and I have seen, but the idea is similar. Zombies have the appearance of life, but they're spiritually dead. Their mind is darkened. Their heart is cold. And what they do, they wreak havoc on everything and everyone around them. And Paul looks at the Ephesians kind of insultingly, says, you were dead people walking around. But he actually makes it even worse. He goes more intense. And he says, not only were you dead, you were following after the prince of the air. You were following Satan himself. Now, this is pretty intense. We don't say these type of insulting things often. But what's Paul trying to get at here? What's he saying? You might be insulted by this, but I want to encourage you. There's a really quick turn right here. Verse 3, it says this. It's profound. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, unfortunately, lots of people today equate Christianity with finger-pointing judgment. You're not good enough. You're doing the bad thing. You need to live like us. And probably some of that's fair. Christians often have expressed their faith in a way that makes other, feel, other people feel less than. But you have to see how profound this is. The message of Christianity is that the moment that you are finger pointing at someone in judgment, it's as if you're looking into a mirror. As soon as you say you, you have to recognize that we too were once like that. And Paul, without skipping a beat, without grinding any gears, he seamlessly goes from, you guys were dead people walking around following Satan, and so was I. I gotta tell you, this is a profound and distinguishing feature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can never view yourself. You are forbidden to think that you are better than anyone else apart from God's grace. And that is a message our culture needs to hear today. We don't think that we're better. This is the distinguishing feature. Among all other faiths, philosophies, and pursuits in life, as a Christian, you're called to remember your past rightly. Some of you that are older maybe have forgotten your past. It's easy to block out some things. Let me ask you this as a starting point. What's the thing you wish you could erase from your memory? That might be something that God wants you to remember, not to beat yourself up, but to testify to his grace. We need to remember our past rightly, and when we do, we realize we're not better than anyone else, but also we're not worse than anyone else. We're all in the same boat of needing grace. On the other hand, if your identity is not rooted in Christ, you will and you almost have to live the rest of your life measuring yourself against other people. So you have to measure whether your children are successful or obedient enough. Measuring if you are successful, if you are rich enough, 
And all the time we're deciding, am I worthy or not worthy? Am I better or worse? And the gospel levels the playing field. You were dead in your sins. And so were we, just like the rest of mankind, Paul says. This is a beautiful thing. And it actually invites us to think so differently about how we relate to one another, how we parent, how we think about those in the world that are lost. If we're honest about our past, I want to tell you just really right now, just three quick practical things this does for us. It'll help, it'll help you for your sake, for your family's sake, and for the world's sake. First, for your sake, when you remember your past rightly, when you're able to look back and say, wow, this is what I was before Christ, and now look where he's brought me. That does two things for you. It makes you humble, and it makes you confident. Don't you want to be a person of humble confidence? Don't you want to walk into a room and not really care what other people think? Don't you want to be freed from all the, the measuring? The gospel does that for us. It's a beautiful invitation. How about this? For your family's sake, practically, parents, you need to learn how to share about your past in an appropriate way with your children. You don't need to show your parents how you made all the right, you don't need to show your ch children how you made all the right decisions along the way. You need to show them how you met God through his grace in your brokenness. When we start to do that, our, our children are surprised. When they see us, even in real time, asking for forgiveness because we're making mistakes, it starts to change the narrative. Christianity is not doing a little bit better, but realizing we can't do it at all. And that's the invitation in this first point. Finally, for the world's sake. Actually, one more thing. Then, as you deal with your children's mistakes, do it with grace. Say, I remember doing something just like that when I was a kid. It was probably worse, right? And you get to impart grace the way that we have received grace from God. Finally, when we realize that we're all in the same boat, we start to look at the world differently as well. We no longer look at the world as an us versus them mindset, but a oh, if they could know the grace of God mindset. And it makes us want to engage, not hide out. It makes us want to serve and not just store up for ourselves. This is how the gospel starts to reorient our lives. So first, it helps us to be honest about our past. Second, the church now can rejoice in the present, specifically in God's presence. If you need a potent dose of the gospel, look no further than Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Let's read that one more time together. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Consider the amount of gospel language in those 35 words. It talks about the great mercy of God, the great love with which he's loved us. It talks about grace. It talks about being uh, made alive with Christ. This is 35 words, and we could spend time on each one of these phrases, but let's pick one. He made us alive together with Christ. What does that mean? He made us alive together with Christ. Kind of cumbersome in the English. It's one Greek word, essentially. He made us alive together. That's one word. What does it mean? Well, we, we know about symbiotic relationships, right? So you've probably heard of the Nile crocodile and the Egyptian plover, the crocodile bird. Um, 
this crocodile is extremely aggressive. And you know, at some point, though, it props open its mouth like this, and the bird flies right in. And you think, wow, this is an easy meal for the crocodile. But he doesn't do anything. He holds his jaws, and the bird cleans his teeth. It's a dental exam, essentially. It's a hygiene stopping. And the, the bird cleans the teeth, the rotting flesh between the crocodile's teeth, and then the bird flies away. He gets a meal, and he gets a free cleaning. This is not, though it's beautiful, or weird, I don't know how you view it, but this is not the picture that Paul's talking about. Because symbiotic relationships are nice, but you don't actually really need each other. It's a great benefit to one another, but you can kind of find some other ways to go about it. How about this image? Maybe this being made alive together is like the image of conjoined twins. There's actually a very famous uh, pair of conjoined twins here in Connecticut, social media influencers, 22-year-olds, Lupita and Carmen Andrade. They live in Connecticut, and in a recent interview, they were asked if they've ever thought about having surgery to, to try to be separated, and they said categorically, no. We know that it could kill either one of us, if not both of us, if we tried that. Again, this image looks like they're made alive together, but in reality, if either one of them pulled away, both would lose their life. So this is still short of what Paul is trying to get us to see, I think. We are made alive together with Christ, like the earth is made alive with the sun. You look at them, it looks like they're in harmony, in, in kind of a unique mutual relationship, but you know this. The earth would be struggling without the sun, right? Yeah. But the sun would be fine without the earth. It could handle it. The earth could not make it without the sun. But because of the sun's gravitational pull, it keeps it so that it never lets it go, and it keeps it so that it never grows cold. That, I think, is the image Paul is trying to get us to see. When we are made alive together with Christ, we are part of a love that will not let us go and that will never grow cold. Man, that's the type of love we're all longing for. We long for it in our children, in our spouses. And sometimes we get a taste of it, but it always comes a little short, doesn't it? But there is a love that we can tap into presently that Christ has for us that makes us alive together with him. What does this mean for us practically? If this is true, if this present reality of God's presence in our lives is true, I think it should do one thing that it never seems to do for me. It should obliterate worry in our lives. But if you're like me, worry is always knocking at the door. I've got young kids. I'm always worried something is about to go terribly wrong. I'm always worried when my wife left her phone at home the other day. She wasn't texting me. I'm like, surely she's just passed out. The kids are running wild. She just left her phone at home. I'll tell you an even uh, more embarrassing story of me. A couple weeks ago, I was going for a run, and I got bit by a dog, drew some blood, um, and I just kept running because I don't know what you're supposed to do when you get bit by a dog. I took off. I bolted. The next day, I told my coworkers, who then told the, the school nurse, and I had a, like an angry mob of people saying, you're about to die from rabies. You need to go get a vaccine immediately. And you know what happened? I'm very confident. I, I knew this was, they were overreacting. 
No, I had phantom rabies-like symptoms immediately. I got into an uncontrollable hot sweat, nearly passed out, uh, and I went and got the rabies vaccine. And I am healed now from rabies, so I'm not afraid of dogs anymore. It's a sad story. It really, if you ask my wife, really got to me. I realized, how shakable am I? That something like this just, I think that God didn't have this covered. If we believe we're part of a love that will not let us go and that will never grow cold, we can start to push back on that worry. But you know what? We have to do it in community because you're not good enough by yourself. Ephesians is an amazing book you guys are studying this summer that talks about the way that it joins us together as well. We're made alive together with Christ, and then he brings us around other people to support us. We need to be churches that rehearse this that meditate on this, that speak about this as we're doing backyard barbecues on Memorial Day, that sing about this in church, and then maybe even find, find a scripture verse that for you reminds you of God's presence. So when the worry wants to jump in, you can stiff arm it out. God is with me. He loves me. As we hold on to this reality, we can fight back worry. The church is aware of its past and its brokenness. The church is aware of God's presence in real time. And finally, the church is longing for their future hope and work. They're longing for their future hope and work. This present confidence we just spoke of actually is pointing to a future hope. Right after this passage we read about being made alive together with Christ, it actually turns our eyes to heaven, if you notice this, verses six and seven. And it says, we are now raised up with him and seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. So here's my question today. Are you here or are you in heaven? Where are you? Yeah, Scott's got it, I think. Are you here or are you in heaven? Paul seems to say, I got a vision of heaven and you're up there already. If that's true, wow, what freedom again do we have in Christ. So first he points to this future hope that we have. It's as if we're seated in Christ right now in glory forever. Now for many though, and maybe you're skeptical of Christianity here, you might say, well, that just sounds like convenient escapism. You don't really have to engage in this broken world now. You're up in heaven, right? That is not how Paul ends this passage. He does not say that our future hope means we're exempt from our future work. He doesn't say, just because we've got this all settled, we can just kind of run out the clock. Maybe you like soccer, maybe you hate soccer. I hate at the end of soccer games when they take the ball to the corner and they just hide. I'm like, play like a man, come on, play the game. They're always just hiding in the corner. Is that what Christians are supposed to do? Keep a nice, safe, impenetrable bubble from the world around us? That's not gonna work. It's not gonna work for discipling our kids doesn't work for us either. What happens when the bubble gets popped? We're filled with worry again. Paul then ends by telling us this future hope in heaven means current and future work on earth. It's an amazing end. Verses 8 through 10. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So where does this all lead us today? 
We're honest about our past. We're aware of God's presence in our lives. What do we do in the future? Well, we know that salvation is not because of our works, but it does result in good works, it says here. We can't earn it, but once we get it, we employ that grace into the world. So think about it like this. When you get a good gift, think about that really good gift that you got or that good gift that your husband should have got for you. They should have known. Think about that good gift. When you get a truly good gift, you know you're not supposed to hide it or hoard it. What you want to do, you want to share it with people. You want them to be part of it. My middle son, Micah, just turned three, and before his birthday, his older sister said, Micah, do you want monster trucks for your birthday? Very into monster trucks. He's not unique. It's amazing. All kids are the same. They all love monster trucks. She says, I hope you get a lot of monster trucks for your birthday. And then she added, who do you want to come to your birthday party? And he said, I want my brother Asher to be there, and I will give him one of my monster trucks. Now, before you realize this was a beautiful moment, it got complicated when he thought, who else is coming to my party? Do I have that many monster trucks to give away? He really got a little, he got a little burdened by it at the end of it. He said, I don't think, I can, I don't think we should invite too many people, though, you know? <laughs> but here's the reality, people. Brothers and sisters, God has enough grace. It's limitless. It's available to all who ask for it. God has grace for everyone, and when we as his people receive that grace, how do we not share it with the world? Why would we want to hoard it and hide out? We've got work to do. God's prepared it for us to walk in it. Let's go. This is what I think Paul is inviting us into. And you know what? The world is in desperate need of this gift. You're in desperate need of it still, day by day. As Christians, we don't get away from the gospel. We get closer to the gospel every day. We keep repenting. We keep saturating in it, marinating in it. We want the flavor, the aroma of Christ, because we're weak. We know it. But the world's in need of this gift, too. We're all trying to live forever. We're all trying to be significant. We're all trying to be safe. It's a tough world to live in to try to get after those things, isn't it? No guarantees. When we receive this beautiful gift, our natural and irresistible response should be to share that gift with others. So here's what I want to end with, two practical ways for us to respond today. First, simplest one, pray for the people that you know that don't know Jesus. Pray for them today. Talk with a friend and say, who are you praying for? Who can we be praying for together? Second, as the weather gets nicer, find ways to get around those people. Rub shoulders with them. Get in their spaces. Do the things that they want to do. Don't just invite them to church. Let them invite you to something else and go with them there. A lot of people today, their first encounter with God and the church is not going to be in the church. It's going to be in your houses. That's where they're going to see him first. They want to see if it's real. We want to know if it's real still sometimes, don't we? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Get on their playing field. Get around those people. Here's a great thing to do as well. As you're around them, talk about your past. You're not so great. You know that. Talk about some of the foolish things. Talk about, man, I, I was impatient with my wife today. 
share that. That's disarming stuff. It helps to see that we are free. If that all seems overwhelming, start with one another here. Practice with one another. Host one another in your houses. Practice articulating the gospel and then go and share it. We as the church are a people following after Jesus. We're honest about our past. We're rejoicing in the present and presence of Jesus. And we are longing for the future hope and work that he has called us into. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this uh, just amazing passage that just starts to uh, undercut all the stuff that we try to lean on to prove ourselves. And we see again and again here, by grace, we're saved. God, truly, if we held on to that, we wouldn't look down on our neighbors because they're not living in accord with your word. We also wouldn't despair in the moments when we fail and fall short, but that actually when we fail, we can be even more enraptured in the glorious gospel that this is why you came. Jesus, you came to give us forgiveness. And so I pray that we would, in this church, in Trinity Baptist, in the gospel-believing churches of Fairfield, Connecticut, just seek to do the simple things and do them for your glory. And that we would just see that following you is difficult at times as we have to own our past, but it is marked by joy as well. And so God, we ask for more of your presence in our lives, that we would recognize that we are made alive together with Christ, brought into a love that won't let us go, that will never grow cold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.